Hi there, dear friend. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A. This is the program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the program where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. You're listening to Hugh Heenan, currently the pastor of Trinity Gardens Seventh-day Adventist, as well as Faith Adventist Centre in Mawson Lakes in Adelaide, South Australia. I'm delighted to be able to spend the next hour with you as we explore this week's continued theme of Is the Bible Relevant in the Third Millennium? And more particularly, today's related topic, Can the Bible Be Trusted? What does archaeology say? Our co-host for today is uh, Pastor David Butcher, President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. Now, David's no stranger to our listeners as our regular co-host here at Drive Time Big Q&A, and it's my great pleasure to to welcome David to our program. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, Hugh, and good afternoon, listeners. Now, for those of you who are long-time listeners, you'll probably be thinking to yourself that it's a little bit of a different setup, a bit of a different uh, partnership on the air today, and that's very true. Uh, so I'm stepping in for, for Gary today, although in actual fact next week, Fabiano, who's normally on Thursdays, he'll be uh, uh, stepping in as well, and uh, I'll be continuing uh, my normal slot on a Thursday. But you could be rest assured that Dave will be right here with you, uh, as per usual, on, on a Wednesday. I must be upsetting my fellow host. Is that correct, Hugh? <laughs> Look, I, I have no experience in that area, Dave, and I wouldn't have any idea uh, as to whether you're an upsetting person. Perhaps you should ask me at the end of this program today. Okay, <laughs> very good. No, I'm sure that's not true at all, listeners. Um, all right, well, today, uh, as we've just uh, noted a few moments ago, the topic for uh, this program is a very intriguing one. Can the Bible be trusted? What does archaeology say? Now, there's a reason why we're looking at uh, archaeology. It's one of those areas uh, that uh, is important when it comes to verifying and uh, determining uh, the facts around uh, ancient practices or sites. And of course, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say historically uh, around uh, and about the Middle East. And uh, so we're going to be looking today, and David's going to be taking us through this uh, very intriguing topic uh, this afternoon. Now, before we continue uh, along those lines, I should probably just note that this week in our Significant World Religious Trends, uh, we've had some uh, interesting topics or interesting uh, articles that have arisen. One of them is, is archaeology proving the Bible? Now, this is a recent article. It's not something which uh, 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 has come up uh, on uh, news sites as of today, but only just very recently back in October. But it's an intriguing article because it's one that uh, explores uh, the evidence base for the Bible with regards to archaeology. <clears throat> and it's uh, something which uh, caught my attention in Newsweek. Now, as uh, David and I came into the studio today, it, uh, it so transpired that uh, he's already upsetting his, uh, his host, and uh, perhaps I'm upsetting my co-host because, as it, as it happens, both of us have the exact same article or same idea, at least in our mind. And that is that uh, recently it's come to light that uh, there is uh, quite a degree of evidence emerging with regards to the site for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, are found, uh, spoken about in the Scriptures, but are they found in everyday, well, in in real life, in the physical realm, uh, there in the Middle East? And uh, it would seem that based upon uh, recent evidences (coughs) that there is much to be said uh, for uh, its existence and, of course, uh, for its non-existence any longer due to uh, a cataclysmic event with the Bible uh, outlines. Now, uh, this is an article which is in Newsweek, but it's actually referring to uh, something which was in Nature magazine, of course, a, a, 
uh, a, uh, a journal which uh, is very much scientifically based and uh, consequently uh, a, a great deal of what we will be discussing here relates to uh, findings direct from uh, that region. Now, David, I think you wanted to uh, perhaps just add a thought on that. Yeah, thanks, Hugh, and uh, great minds think alike. I was looking at this same article. It was from last year, wasn't it, uh, Newsweek? Right. And very well-written article. But, Hugh, maybe if we just give a little bit of context for Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. and then we you can unpack the article. Are you happy to do that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, for our listeners' benefit, um, many of you would know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, these ancient cities. Uh, we go back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, chapter 8. 18, really through to the end of chapter 19. And in chapter 18, we have a story, and many people see the book of Genesis as a fable or myths, uh, and um, that's why this article is so, so important. But uh, Genesis 18 tells a story of God and Abram speaking, and uh, God is going to destroy Sodom because the wickedness has come up before him. And uh, Abraham... Uh, finally gets to the point with God that I think if there are ten righteous people, God will spare the city. And uh, essentially two angels come, if you read the story, they come to Lot's house and the men of Sodom uh, come and want to commit indecent homosexual acts with these angels. And they want to knock the door down uh, and the angels strike these men of the city, these wicked men, blind. And that night the angels say, they stay with Lot and they say, listen, tomorrow the city's going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. And they say, if you've got any family, get them out of here. And Lot has two young daughters, he and his wife in the house, but he has another, he has other children in the city and husbands. And finally the next morning, and we're now in Genesis 19, uh, the angels take Lot and he and his wife and their two daughters. The other family were left. They didn't believe, they didn't want to come. And uh, finally they take them, the angels take Lot and his family out of the city and they tell them to flee for the hills. And uh, they also tell them not to look back. And then in Genesis chapter 19, uh, verse 23, this is what we read which many people consider just to be myth or fable. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. And of course, we know the story where it says, And Lot's wife looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. And then it says in verse 28, Then, um, then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is, this is um, Abram, he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw and beheld the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so this is the story of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah with brimstone and fire which rains out of heaven. And Hugh, as, as you, uh, happy for you to pick up the article now, but clearly, you know, people have struggled to find this location and surely this is a myth, this story of fire and brimstone out of heaven destroying things. What's the article have to say? Yeah, so David, it's, uh, and listeners, it's really interesting to, to note that, uh, yes, this does sound like a story that uh, one might be inclined to think is mythical, but uh, uh, there has been some indications there in the Middle East um, for some around the area of the uh, the Dead Sea uh, where it's thought that uh, that there are indications uh, of such high amounts of uh, of phosphorus uh, that 
it's it's thought that perhaps that this is the site where there was a uh, uh, this this event take place. And of course, with that as well, <coughs> people are, uh, have indicated that in in uh, scratching away at that uh, that uh, soil on that surface, they found uh, that it's very easy for it to catch a light. Um, now, in this article here. Uh, there has been, and this is from a peer-reviewed uh, paper in uh, Nature Scientific Reports, uh, as David mentioned earlier, uh, or, uh, or rather um, in the latter part of last year. And <clears throat> it describes the cataclysmic destruction of a middle Bronze Age city north of the Dead Sea, which also fits within that, uh, that geography, and represents years of research and technical analysis by 21 scientists, no less. <clears throat> and, and they never likely expected to be authoring this paper in one of the world's most prestigious scientific journals mentioning the destruction of the biblical city of Sodom. But uh, the parallels proved impossible for them to ignore. And consequently, they uh, have at this uh, site of uh, Tal al-Hammam, uh, they began excavating. And uh, the team discovered, they got down to about... 1,650 BC, or that layer, uh, as it were, of uh, uh, of the uh, of the tell or of that uh, that mound, and they uncovered a five foot layer of soot. And so, what they've discovered there is that randomly scattered throughout this vast destruction matrix were bits of melted brick, burned fragments of human bones, and other baffling uh, detritus. And so, there's no volcanic eruption that's indicated by this, no regular fire, no earthquake that could have produced this. In fact, the day they found it, <clears throat> the lead scientist discovered a shard of a jar, uh, and it so happens that uh, he was a seasoned ceramic typologist. In other words, he, he knows his ceramics uh, from that period, and he instantly or very quickly was able to verify it as being from around 1700 BC. So we're, we're now talking about that same period. Uh, close to the time of the destruction, uh, historically uh, uh, understood uh, to be the time when Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was no more. Uh, and one side of this this uh, ceramic jar had a strange glassy green glaze. And the technology to intentionally produce anything like that would not exist for another 24 centuries. Uh, now, what could it be that would have caused or formed uh, such a result and uh, a lab in New Mexico concluded that the pottery had been melted by super intense heat lasting a very short period of time now what would do that and uh, the conclusions uh, of that uh, would seem to point towards an event such like what the Bible describes as relates to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where fire fell down from heaven <coughs> and uh, destroyed that city uh, almost like a nuclear blast uh, there in that place. And of course, to this day, we don't know where Sodom and Gomorrah is, but if there is a site that would seem to fit it uh, and fit its description and what occurred to it, perhaps this is the site right here. And archaeology is once again pointing to indicators or evidences that uh, would seem to underscore the reliability of the Bible. And this is an incredible article, Hugh, and I'm glad you came across it as well. Yeah. Uh, what they discovered was this five-foot layer of soot. And not only that, but as Hugh had said, you know, um, uh, this this uh, pottery that had turned almost into a, a melted uh, piece of ceramic with this glaze on it. Um, essentially, they discovered in the in the uh, layering of their archaeological discovery that there was a seven hundred year gap between this civilization and the next civilization of humanity that lived there. Even though this was an incredible geographical location and everything that was needed to live there were 700 years between this civilization to the next 
and essentially they they described what happened here to um, something akin to um, a thousand Hiroshima bombs um, or the nineteen oh eight uh, the nineteen oh eight bomb blast uh, blast that flattened eighty million trees. Um, uh, this was something massively significant, you know. Um, they suggest uh, that um, it, it was incredible what occurred here, that there would have been winds up to 700 miles per hour that occurred and the temperature, I don't have the, the Celsius, but the explosion may have been something like 18,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, so you can imagine why um, things would melt, including stainless steel at that sort of temperature. And they sort of suggest that the only events comparable to what happened at Tel El-Haman, this site, are the atomic bomb tests in the New Mexico desert in 1945. And, yeah, this was quite powerful, Hugh, wasn't it? Mm. Yes, and and <laughs> for that reason, of course, it was something which caught both your eye and, and mine. And uh, it's not every day that you come across uh, something like this, such a startling find of uh, of this nature. Uh, but once again, it does seem to point towards evidences, uh, archaeological in nature, that would verify the biblical record uh, and the history that it points to. In this case, with respect to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this is not. Uh, this is really just uh, an introduction to today's uh, uh, topic, and uh, it's simply an article which has caught our eye, but one which is a pointer to some of the other many evidences that uh, exist archaeologically uh, that underscore and verify, or at least uh, uh, provide uh, strength to the veracity or the claims of veracity for uh, the Bible. Um, well, at this point, David, I think perhaps it would be good for us to just uh, uh, take a moment to uh, acknowledge that uh, wherever our listeners are tuning in from, uh, that we're glad that you're listening. We're glad that you've tuned in. Uh, we'd like to encourage you to text us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. That's zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. We'd love to have your text. We'd love to have your calls. We'd love to hear from you and uh, hear how that uh, this program. Uh, what difference it's making in your life. We, we love to interact with our, our listeners, and we'd love to hear more from you. But just at this moment, let's uh, take a moment to interact with God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for this opportunity to discuss uh, matters which are of eternal importance, uh, and Lord, also matters which are of scientifically verifiable uh, nature in and of themselves. So, Father, we do pray that as we discuss the trustworthiness of the Bible, and as we look at the uh, the archaeological evidence that points towards it, that it will be an experience that will help us to or stimulate within us a desire to know more, more of the evidence, but also more of of you and more of your word, the Bible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear listener, I have this great book that is called God's Word as Therapy. You know, God's Word is not just a historical document. Uh, the Bible is also uh, a, a a book that has very real, practical uh, insights and makes a great difference in people's everyday lives. And so this is a great book called God's Word as Therapy, and it's today's free offer. So if you'd like to get today's uh, offer, all you need to do is text the code word SA30 or SA30 uh, to 04888. 
808-8811. And the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So text the code word SA30, that's just the capital letters SA, as in South Australia, and the number 30. No spaces, that's all one alphanumeric word, so SA30, all one word, and text that through to that number again, 4 SA30. All right, well, just at this point in time, we'd like to play you a, a wonderful song by Andre Crouch. It's not just a story. I heard the story of Jesus Sounded like music in my head Possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Well, welcome back again, listeners, and it's great to uh, to be back with you here on air with uh, uh, big time uh, drive time big Q and A. And uh, today's topic is is one that is very fascinating, I think, for for most of our listeners. Uh, it's a topic which uh, uh, is really about whether the Bible is relevant in the third millennium. Uh, and we're looking at uh, specifically: can the Bible be trusted? What does archaeology say? Now. Uh, you're listening to Hugh Heenan. Our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. And uh, in answer to that question, I wonder, uh, David, we, we started out talking about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and, of course, that's a bit of a contentious topic in and of itself in today's society. Um, but uh, it does show that some of the more contentious aspects of the Bible, some of the more con- controversial um, episodes which might exist within the pages of the Scriptures, that there is nonetheless a verifiable uh, and reliable uh, underlying historical and archaeological record to that. I wonder if you could perhaps uh, either add to to what we've discussed already or perhaps uh, uh, share with us some other thoughts allied to that with regards to the archaeological evidence uh, for the Scriptures. Hey, thank you very much, Hugh, and uh, we want to welcome you back as listeners, so thank you for joining us. Uh, it's really interesting because 
For many years, uh, critics of the scriptures and the reliability of the scriptures, Hugh, had basically claimed that the Bible is unreliable because it's historically inaccurate. They said that it tells of people and events uh, that can't be confirmed or aren't even mentioned in any other ancient records, only the scriptures. Um, and so um, the Bible, they say, can't be trusted as a true record of history because it's not reliable. And if it's not reliable in historical matters, then how can it be reliable in other matters such as spiritual or salvific, salvation matters? Why should we believe, for instance, what it's saying about anything if we can't believe what it tells us about the people and places it refers to? And so this is the sort of arguments that have been used for generations. And really, it's probably only been the last 150 or 160 years that uh, the, the study of archaeology has actually really began to strongly support the biblical record. In other words, uh, there's been intense archaeological uh, work that has been done in the 150 or so years, and particularly since World War I and just prior to World War I, and essentially from that, there have been many different uh, artifacts and um, inscriptions and, and locations and names of people that have been uncovered that previously only the Bible mentioned. And so we can have an incredible level of certainty, Hugh, that um, archaeology has time and time again uncovered and confirmed and shown that what the Bible says, in spite of the critics for, for hundreds of years, has proven to be accurate. So let's, let's, let's look at this. Archaeology is essentially uh, the study of examination, examining things from bygone eras and, and, and different time periods, and often it involves excavation. Um, where you are digging through layers and layers of, of dirt or rock or dust and you're searching for fragments of pottery or walls or, or whatever it may be uh, of various eras, uh, of, of, of bygone eras. And, um, of course, when we think of archaeology, we think back to, and none of us were alive at this time, thank God, but uh, we think back to the time of the discovery of the tomb of King Tutankhamun. And uh, that was discovered in 1922. And Hugh, I know you weren't alive then, and I wasn't alive either, but that certainly brought uh, uh, a whole new generation of people, didn't it, to, to awareness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, David. And for those listening at home, you probably can't tell that David could tell that by my skeletal remains that are sitting here in the studio just now. Um, but no, I wasn't alive. David wasn't alive. But uh, certainly what I find fascinating about this, David, is the the fact that uh, that these discoveries are being made at a time in history where increasingly there was a degree of skepticism and a degree of secularism uh, and a high degree of this, this higher criticism of texts and of ideas and ideologies. Uh, and, and rather than in a time earlier where uh, perhaps there was a, a lesser degree of, of, of such uh, skepticism uh, regarding matters of faith. And so isn't it fascinating that we're, f we're finding these great discoveries now that would seem to verify the scriptures at a time where you perhaps least expect it? And so what you're leading to, I believe, Hugh, is, is it shows us that God sometimes allows things to be revealed at particular punctilia moments in earth's history for a specific reason. Yes, and so Hugh, let's let's uh, dig deep into archaeology, so to speak. 
without getting our hands dirty and uh, travel back to 1798. 1798, and uh, that's a pretty important era. We know that the French uh, Empire was pretty significant then and a particular uh, person called Napoleon. Well, in 1798, he invaded Egypt and he brought with him a scientific team of scholars and draftsmen to survey the monuments of the land and to find out as much as they could. And in this particular, um, in this particular expedition, um, and it was actually 1799 when they found this, they came to a place called Rosetta in the Nile Delta near Alexandria in Egypt and they discovered part of a slab of black rock. Now, every now and then, um, you know, I've, I've been up um, in the middle of Australia in Cooperpedi and um, just out of Cooperpedi, Hugh, and, I've, dis- and uh, I've been taken there by various people into a reserve. And if you walk there, this is near the dog fence, the largest, uh, longest fence in the world, uh, you will find all sorts of fossils of fish and all sorts of things right on the surface of this land there in the middle of Australia. But uh, I'll often come across rocks and we go places and we'll collect them. I was in Port Lincoln, South Australia recently in a national park and my daughter and I picked up some beautiful rocks from the beach. But here in 1799, um, Napoleon and uh, his, uh, his uh, team didn't just pick up any rock but they discovered a slab of black rock and it was named afterwards the Rosetta Stone. And uh, this is now in the British Museum. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I have. I have too. Yeah. And uh, didn't get long to look at. There were there was crowds of people around it. Yes. But uh, this particular discovery was really incredible because the Rosetta Stone has inscriptions on it in Egyptian hieroglyphics, which was the ancient form of Egyptian writing. It had Demotic Egyptian, uh, which was the more popular Egyptian script, and then it also had Greek. And essentially, it had these three languages. And the scholars knew the Greek. But remember, this was discovered in 1799. It wasn't until 1822 that a French scholar, Jean Champollion, he was able to decipher with the Greek, looking at the Egyptian hieroglyphics, he was able to unlock essentially the Egyptian language, which had been un determinable for millennia. And so this unlocked a number of different Egyptian records uh, and and they're able to be translated into Greek and then into to English and other languages so we can actually understand those cultures. And those cultures have told us and the records from the hieroglyphic text and inscriptions have actually uncovered so many things about biblical history. Another discovery, Hugh, uh, was the cuneiform script. Now, many of our listeners may have heard of the word cuneiform, and essentially it, um, it essentially describes a wed- wedge-shaped um, uh, carving or marking on various tablets or rocks. And essentially the cuneiform uh, inscriptions essentially were discovered um, on a huge rock uh, in Iran or ancient Persia between Tehran and Baghdad. And this was a massive rock face. Uh, it had been there for thousands of years, but uh, no one had deciphered the various languages. And the languages, when they were deciphered, uh, turned out to be Old Persian, Babylonian and Elamite. And um, essentially these were um, uh, deciphered in the 1850s. 
and uh, it was a gentleman by the name of Sir Henry Rawlinson uh, at great risk uh, and with a team of scholars begun to unravel this. And so you can imagine, Hugh, as we look at Scripture, we come across some pretty great civilizations, don't we? We do. Egyptian, uh, the Ninevites, the Babylonians, and the Persians, etc. And so these um, these uh, cuneiform um, uh, inscriptions were able to unlock a treasure trove of information about the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. And as I say, all of this in the, the mid-1800s. So it's really the, the last 150 years that we've really begun to discover um, many things which help confirm Scripture. And we can be very thankful, of course, for the efforts of the archaeologists from those times. In fact, it was a very rudimentary science, uh, or, or rather uh, 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 basic science in its earliest forms there in the, in the 19th century, the 1800s. Uh, I well remember... Uh, reading about uh, Schliemann, who was a German archaeologist, and uh, he essentially came across uh, that city of Babylon that uh, uh, was mentioned quite uh, uh, to quite a degree, quite frequently within the scriptures, uh, whether it's in Isaiah or Ezekiel or in Daniel and many other parts of the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, it's, it's referred back to. <clears throat> but uh, there were those who considered that some of the biblical stories that related to Babylon were quite, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, untrustworthy. Uh, but uh, in uncovering uh, the city of Babylon and many of the various different uh, uh, scripts and uh, 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 pottery and uh, fragments of jars and, and so on, uh, as well as, uh, in fact, the entire gate of Ishtar, which today is in the Pergamon Museum. In Berlin. In Berlin. And I take it you've probably been there as well? Yes. <clears throat> I don't think we were there on the same line in the same day. No. Uh, we probably wouldn't have known because a lot of people going in and out. But uh, uh, I well remember that uh, he simply... Uh, with, without any real care, you could say, uh, uprooted that entire structure and then carried it away and somehow managed to keep it intact all the way back to Berlin. Uh, and yet we can be very glad for his efforts and the much more careful and, uh, and precise efforts of those who followed in his footsteps since. And uh, one of the reasons is that, uh, as I recall in the scriptures, uh, there's a story uh, there in Daniel 5 uh, which talks about uh, a third king, uh, or at least two kings, uh, of Babylon, how that uh, a third king was uh, was being a per- third person was being offered the kingship uh, there of Babylon, and uh, uh, there were those who were claiming that uh, well, this just shows the Bible is inaccurate because uh, we don't have any record of any such thing. Well, and there would be a record, surely, of all the kings. You would think so, especially of uh, the world's most dominant uh, superpower of the day, the, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and David, perhaps um, you might like to share with our listeners uh, what was uncovered or excavated as a result of uh, further inquiry. So essentially, Hugh, and, and this is really powerful what you've said, um, skeptics said, well, we can't trust Daniel uh, because the Bible in Daniel chapter 5 talks about King Belshazzar, Belshazzar sorry, and uh, we know from the Bible in Daniel 5 that uh, he was uh, probably in his 30s, um, he'd taken over, Babylon was this impenetrable city, and uh, it had um, uh, it had the the um, Euphrates River flowing through it. It had walls that uh, archaeologists suggest could have four chariots riding abreast. And uh, these walls were significantly high. And as, as you've said rightly, Hugh, you go into the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, mm-hmm. and you can see the height of the the walls along the processional way leading into to the ancient city of Babylon that have that have been. 
uh, I guess, disassembled, taken over and, and put back together again there in, in Berlin. But uh, it was said in the Bible that uh, the Medes and the Persians came in, uh, they diverted the Euphrates River, came in under the gates uh, that went through the middle of the city, that went down to the riverbed. They marched under the gates. The internal walls alongside parallel to the Euphrates River were left unlocked, the gates. And that very night when King Belshazzar was partying with the lords and the ladies and the important people of his kingdom, we, we come across a story in Daniel 5 of the writing on the wall, this bloodless hand, this fingerless hand writing, mini, mini, tekel your fasten. Um, you know, you're, you've been found wanted, uh, you're being judged, and your kingdom will be taken from you. And... Um, Daniel, this old man, comes in and he basically says, you haven't learnt uh, from your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and this very night the kingdom will be taken from you. And that's the story that occurred. Well, critics said, well, this isn't true. We, we, we found Nebuchadnezzar in history, but there is no such reference to Belshazzar. Mm. What archaeology has discovered is that, uh, yes, Belshazzar was a definite king and he was a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. And Nabonidus had shifted from the city of Babylon to, I think, a city here called Tima. That's right. And uh, so Belshazzar was reigning in the city of Babylon that night when it fell and he was a co-regent. So the Bible, here is Daniel, this ancient prophet, uh, 600 BC, um, writing these stories that only someone there then and then could know that history is now proven. Interesting, Hugh, this discovery of um, ancient Babylon, uh, you mentioned the German... Um, Archaeologists, and there was another one there called Coldaway. And for 18 consecutive seasons, they were excavating this city. And this is in incredible temperatures, often reaching up to 50 degrees. And um, they have discovered Babylon, the Bible says, was this city of incredible gold. And archaeology has uncovered evidence that, that proves that to be the case. The other thing the Bible says, it talks about this king called Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and in fact, I remember probably 20-odd uh, plus years ago, um, uh, what was uh, Saddam Hussein? I remember seeing a billboard in Time magazine of Saddam Hussein. Uh, in a chariot, uh, this big uh, billboard, in a chariot with uh, a depiction of the ancient King Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to be like him. But it's interesting, archaeology took a long time to uncover evidence for the existence of Nebuchadnezzar. There was no evidence outside of the Bible, but uh, they've discovered hundreds of inscriptions, even on tiles and bricks, with Nebuchadnezzar's name. Now, I don't know about you, Hugh, I don't have it open to this chapter, but... Uh, Daniel chapter 4 uh, talks about Nebuchadnezzar being proud, walking around the rooftop of, of his city, his palace, and he says some pretty powerful words there, pretty proud words. He says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? Acclaiming himself to be all-powerful, and, and what archaeology has proven is that his name is inscribed everywhere, Hugh. Mm. That's right. And, and the, the astonishing thing about that, of course, is, as you've rightly pointed out, uh, there, there seemed to be no evidence for this right up until the, the mid-19th century. Uh, and the only evidence that existed for such uh, a personage and for uh, many of the, uh, uh, the uh, events which we've now uh, come to know occurred back there through means of archaeology, the only ex the evidence from that time that we had through to the 19th century was the Bible. 
and and what it, it spoke of with regards to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his father Nebuchadnezzar before him, and of course, as you mentioned, Nabonidus and Belshazzar after that. Uh, and uh, and so, how astonishing was it that? Uh, it so happens that uh, a lot of uh, claims and counterclaims were made with regards to the veracity of the Bible, uh, and uh, it seemed that the Bible uh, was uh, was not something that could be verified on these on these matters. And yet now we have the evidence archaeologically uh, from those who were not setting out to to find such evidence, uh, biblically speaking, who nonetheless have. Uh, have uncovered archaeological evidence that does point to the, the reliability of Scripture. Now, and, and the critics are being silenced uh, on Nebuchadnezzar, as they are on many other biblical places and people. Well, at this point in time, let's go to a break, and uh, we'll come back and we'll reflect a little bit further on what we've just learned. Uh, but in the meantime, we'd like to play this song for you by uh, Clint McCoy, Give Me the Bible. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming To cheer the wander, lone and tempest-tossed No storm can hide that peaceful radiance beaming Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day Give me the Bible when my heart is broken When sin and grief have filled my soul with fear Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken Hold up faith's lamp to show my Savior dear Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day steps enlightened Teach me the danger of these realms below That lamp of safety or the gloom shall brighten That light alone the path of peace can show Give me the Bible Holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day 
eternal day in eternal day. Well, welcome back, folks, and uh uh, I hope that you've been enjoying our program so far and you enjoyed that song. And uh, today's program is all about God's Word, the Bible. Can we trust it? What does archaeology have to say? Now, today's offer is a wonderful offer. It's a free offer. It's a great book that we're giving away. It's called God's Word as Therapy. God's Word is not just, the Bible is not just a historical document. It is really a, a uh, uh, an everyday map for life. And so God's Word as Therapy. If you'd like to uh, receive today's uh, free offer, all you need to do is text the code word SA. 30 to zero four triple eight eight oh eight double one and uh, the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So text the code word SA30, that's just the capital letters SA, as in South Australia, and the number 30, and uh, send that through to us at 04888-80811, and uh, you'll receive today's free giveaway, God's Word as Therapy. Well, we've been exploring this topic. Can the Bible be trusted? What does archaeology say? And uh, I wonder, Pastor David, is there something you'd like to share with us a little further uh, of the many different evidences, uh, the copious amount, in fact, that uh, have come to light in the last uh, two centuries and more? Yeah, thank you, Hugh. Uh, Look, many of us have met people from many different cultures. I'm sure you've met some Egyptian people. I'm sure, Hugh, you may have even met some Syrian people. And these are places that, uh, and, and Jewish people obviously, these are mentioned, these places in the Bible that these people come from. Have you ever met a Hittite? I must admit I've never met a Hittite before. No neighbours no. that are Hittites? No neighbours who are Hittites? No one who walks like a Hittite? No. And, and, yet, and yet, the Bible, in at least 15 of the Old Testament books, there are 46 references at least to people that were Hittites, a nation or people of the Hittites. For instance, we have the story of one of David's generals, Uriah the Hittite. We have the story in the scription of Ephron the Hittite and Beeri the Hittite. And um, these people um, existed in the time of uh, the conquest and, and the Israelites going into Canaan and even uh, once they established themselves. And yet... Um, there is no, there has been no record of them since. Uh, people said, well, the Bible talks about the Hittites, but we can't find anything to prove that the Hittites actually existed. Therefore, we can't trust the Bible. It's interesting, though, that um, uh, essentially in 1911, outside Ankara, Ankara in uh, Turkey, about 160 kilometres out, a German archaeologist, another German archaeologist, uh, Hugo Winkler, and others, they uh, discovered the capital of the Hittites. And um, they discovered these city gates. They were life-size carvings um, etched into black basalt rock, which was as hard as iron. And on these depictions, they discovered a lot about Hittite life. There was Hittite warriors. They discovered that the Hittite people were small people. They had large noses. 
I guess we've all seen people with large noses. There were people with receding foreheads and thick lips. And these were the Hittite people. Uh, And this is how they depicted themselves. Well, despite what the Hittites might have looked like, what they found really incredible and amazing was they discovered an ancient library that had been buried for more than 3,000 years. And it was the royal archives of the Hittite kings. And in this library, Hugh, they discovered 30,000 clay tablets. And essentially these tablets um, told the story of a once mighty empire and their interactions with other peoples. And uh, just in concluding this little section on the Hittites, it's interesting that uh, one um, writer says that... um, In the Encyclopedia Britannica, in the 1860 edition, there were only eight lines about the Hittites. Eight lines. 1860. And I didn't read that version, okay? I know you might a few, but it's interesting. (laughs) So eight lines about the Hittites in 1860, but in 1947, in the same Encyclopedia Britannica, there were ten pages of double column text describing the Hittite history, culture and religion. And one author, his name is Marshall, he says the Hittites were not one were the Hittites were not one of the Bible's historical mistakes. In other words, he's saying the Hittite the discovery of Hitt- the Hittite culture has proven that the Bible is trustworthy. Yeah, and I think it's a really good example that you give there David because um, uh, as, as we know there was no mention of the Hittites outside of the scriptures uh, to be had, and uh, many people thought that they didn't exist. It was just something that was a figment of the imagination of biblical writers. But uh, we now know that they were an empire, uh, not just a small little tribe somewhere in a corner, uh, but rather an empire that was of the same scale uh, of that of Egypt of the same period, and so vying against Egypt for supremacy there in the Mediterranean world. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's quite astonishing, isn't it, uh, that we had no record of such a civilization except through means of the Bible. And now, of course, today, through means of archaeology, we, we can rightfully say uh, that they deserve more than eight lines in uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Another one, Hugh, that, um, I mean, what are some of the most popular names in Scripture? I mean, I, I bear a name that is uh, quite popular in Scripture, correct, David? Yes, that's what true. What are some of the other popular names? Oh, Maybe think of two. Okay, how about uh, Mary or Joseph? Yeah, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, they're not. It's not Christmas, you. We're past Christmas. <laughs> I'm thinking of Old Testament, and I'm thinking okay. of uh, some two two really great names: Moses and and what about Abram? Great, Abraham. Now, yes. Abram, Abraham. He's yeah. uh, seen as the father of many different faiths, isn't he? The Judaism, Christianity, obviously would trace back, and also Islam. Mm. And um, uh, essentially, the Bible tells a story that Abram came from a particular city, and it was a city. Called, uh, if someone says, well, where do you live? And I go, um, uh. he came from Ur. <laughs> and he came from Ur of the Chaldees. And interestingly, Abram's name appears in 27 different books of Scripture. So an integrally important character of the Scriptures. And yet, nowhere outside of the Scripture was there any evidence for the existence of a city or a place called Ur or Ur of the Chaldees. And essentially, Hugh, uh, between 1922 and 1934, Sir Leonard Woolley, and I can presume that he is uh, not German like some of the other archaeologists we've been talking about. In fact, he was uh, with a team from the University of Philadelphia from the United States. Essentially, between 1922 and 1934, with archaeologists, they uh, worked in a site in southern Iraq and they discovered the old site of Ur. 
And it's interesting that um, this ancient city of Ur was awakened from its long sleep. And essentially what they discovered about Ur was something quite incredible. It was a sophisticated city. In fact, the authors of some of these articles suggest that some of the uh, two-story dwellings in ancient Ur were bigger in size than what you would find in modern Iraq. And this is obviously going back before the most recent Iraq wars. So this was an incredible city, Ur of the Chaldees. Um, it was rich. Uh, there were schools there where, where children learnt about uh, how to read, how to write, geography. Uh, there was all sorts of things in the ancient city of Ur. There was great trade. Uh, and this is where Abraham came from. And again, this discovery in the 1930s gave evidence and proof that what the ancient biblical writers wrote thousands of years before has now been uncovered. And, of course, there's many other evidences that uh, point to the life of Abraham since that time as well uh, with regards to some of the things he did, the places he went, uh, the customs that he abided by as well. I think with, re with regards to when he eventually moved west of Ur um, and you know, uh, away from that well-appointed city and, and that great trading post, uh, to uh, to the land of Canaan, uh, what would today would call Palestine or Israel, that uh, he engaged with that same people, the Hittites, didn't he? That's very true. Yeah, and uh, and uh, there are certain practices that he engaged in. We don't have time to look at that today, but which archaeology points out were very current and very um, common practices of the people of that region at that time, such as taking oaths or making covenants and treaties and, and uh, things of this nature as well. well. We're running out of time, unfortunately, for today. I think this is really a topic we could look at for the entirety of the week. Wouldn't you agree? We, we, we could, Hugh. There is so much. I mean, we haven't talked about the Moabite stone or Hezekiah's tunnel. There is so much that we could share here. True. Uh, just at this time, we want to just uh, have a word from our sponsors and just thank them for uh, for giving us the time to share on this really important topic. And uh, we'll be right back with you in a moment. Take Faith FM on the go with the free Faith FM app, available for Apple and Android. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Well, we're back on air, and uh, David, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us just as we bring matters towards a close today on this important topic of the Bible and archaeology? What are the evidences for the Bible as uncovered by that uh, important science, archaeology? I think as the article we read in our beginning <coughs> introduction, Hugh, about Sodom and Gomorrah, increasingly archaeology is giving strong evidence for the veracity of the Bible. And we haven't even spoken about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I don't know if in one or two minutes if you want to share on that, but uh, they were discovered in 1948, weren't they, essentially? Yes, yeah, so 1947, 1948, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And uh, uh, in a very brief snapshot, uh, one could say that it was an astonishing uh, discovery because it showed that uh, the, the scriptures themselves uh, that they were not just something handed down and then added to as time went on, but rather instead that, uh, for example, the book of Isaiah, that they were able to uncover the entire extant scroll of Isaiah, 
uh, and uh, found that what we have in our hands today with the book of Isaiah is what uh, is uh, what uh, was also uh, to be found uh, there in the scroll of Isaiah or the Isaiah scroll as found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, we don't have enough time in, by any stretch of the imagination to talk much further on that uh, today, but uh, I'd really encourage our listeners to, uh, to look up the Dead Sea Scrolls, take a look at what was discovered there, and consider how that... Uh, uh, that uh, how astonishing it is to think that something which was written 3,000 years ago uh, or close to 3,000 years ago uh, that uh, you, you think about uh, whispers that game whispers that uh, you, you start a, a story a changes story around a room yeah it changes doesn't it and uh, and yet uh, when we look at the the book of Isaiah a very long book uh, and uh, in the modern version of or the modern Bible that we have in our hands today 66 chapters worth uh, that it is uh, intact, uh, and that uh, everything that uh, is of any real uh, uh, significance within that book is still as it was when it was uh, when it was uh, uh, recorded uh, and written down back uh, just over two thousand years ago, which is really quite amazing. It is, um, yeah. So. Uh, encourage our listeners to look further into this topic. We'd love to hear back from you. If you'd like to uh, uh, to send us a text, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, then again, that number once more that you can do that on is zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. That's zero four triple eight. 80811. And of course, today's free offer, uh, which is God's Word as Therapy, can also be uh, gained by means of that, uh, of, of texting us uh, there and by using the code word SA30. Well, and, and Hugh, I know you've got to, we've got to wind up really yes, quick. Sorry. I just want to uh, confirm for our listeners that God has protected his word throughout history mm. and will continue to do so. We can trust God's word. Yes, absolutely. And when you, when you think of the fact that uh, uh, the oldest record that we had of the Bible uh, was from a thousand years ago in the 10th century, uh, until they uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then with the Dead Sea Scrolls being uh, being discovered, and not by a Christian, but by a uh, uh, by a, uh, a a herds boy who was who was Muslim in his background, that uh, uh, we now have a record of the scriptures going back more than a thousand years before that, and it matches up with what we previously had as the oldest scriptures, and matches with what we have today. And so there's this great confidence that we can have in the veracity, the reliability, the trustworthiness uh, of the scriptures and of what they record, and of the great truths uh, that they record, and the most important truth that they record, and that is that God loves you, cares about you, died to save you, and is coming back for each one of us. He's coming again, amen. He is. So just as much as we can rely upon what the Bible said back there, we can rely upon what it says for today as well as for tomorrow. Well, that's all the time we have for uh, for today, but uh, we look forward to spending more time with you next time and with our, our co-host, Pastor David Butcher. It's been great to spend this time with, with our, our resident expert on archaeology and all matters uh, dusty Encyclopedia Britannicas. And, but until then, remember, I'm leaving you with this gift, this peace of mind and heart, says Jesus. The peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled nor be afraid. May God richly bless you, uh, and we'll look forward to spending more time with you next time. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you.
what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God.